Welcome, everybody, to the fourth and final week of Outrage, this series of messages in which we're exploring how to live and love like Jesus in the age of rage. And sort of the big idea behind this series, kind of what we've been going for is this idea that as the culture around us becomes more and more sick and more and more broken, then the more and more important it, co- it becomes for us as Christ followers to live counter-cultural lives, to not be conformed to the culture around us, to be different from the culture around us. Or, or maybe we could say it this way. When the world is at its worst, it's time for the church to be at its best. And we see this idea pretty, pretty clearly spelled out in our theme verse through this series from Philippians chapter 2. Notice what it says. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. That's pretty countercultural, right? Why? So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then notice the results. Then... Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So over this last month, we've been looking at specific ways that we can shine. We talked about shining through kindness, right? To be radically kind in a world that is radically unkind. And we saw that with the Good Samaritan, right? It wasn't just one guy helping another guy who was in trouble. It was a guy being willing to go the extra mile to help someone who hated him, someone who was a part of another religion, another culture, part of the big divide, and yet the Good Samaritan chose to be radically kind. That shines like stars. Last week, we talked about living in a counter-cultural community. That the way we as Christians do life together, right, the way we forbear and forgive with each other shines in this culture that holds grudges long term. And so today what I want to do is wrap up this series by looking at what is probably maybe the simplest and yet most powerful way that we can positively impact the people around us, and that is to be counter culturally present. Counterculture presence. And no, I'm not talking about the gifts we're going to give each other in a month. I'm not talking about presence. I'm talking about our presence with people. To really be with people when we're with them. To be fully engaged, fully interested in the person right in front of us instead of being disengaged and disinterested. Because when I look at the culture around us, I see a culture that is not just divided and angry, but I see a culture that is distracted. We're so busy trying to stay connected to everyone that we disconnect from the person that's right in front of us. Let me show you what I mean. This is the new normal in our culture, right? Right? We're more concerned about who likes our latest Instapic than we are the person we say we like. And it's not just teenage girls. We see this affecting our marriages, 
where we're together but not together. Go to any restaurant this week, and I guarantee you, you'll see something that looks like this. This is now the new norm. This is socially acceptable, isn't it? Right? We see this everywhere. We also see this affecting our parenting, where we're often more concerned with what's going on on our screen than what's happening with our children. Listen, in fact, this is such a big deal that the American Psychological Association has coined the phrase for this. It's called technoference. Technology interfering with our ability to connect relationally. And we're seeing technoference showing up as grounds for divorce or separation. We're actually seeing it being used in the courts to determine child custody cases. We see it all around us. The Urban Dictionary has a term for this. It's not technoference. On the street, we call this fubbing. I know I got to be careful when I say that word, but it's a combination of phone and snubbing. When somebody's paying attention to their phone and not you, they are fubbing you. And listen, this stuff has gotten so bad that even the broken culture around us is pushing back against us. In fact, we're starting to see signs like this show up in restaurants, right? Say no to fubbing. <laughs> 20 years ago, it was just say no to what? Drugs, right? Now, apparently drugs are okay, right? At least if you live in Oregon, drugs are okay, but fubbing is not. My, my point is we are a distracted culture, and it often causes us to not be present with the people we're with. You know, it's hard to believe. How, how long do you think the smartphone has been around? How many years do you think we've had these? 13 years. It's just 13 years ago, 2007, when Steve Jobs introduced the very first smartphone. It was called the iPhone. And just out of curiosity, how many of you own one of Steve's toys. Let me see, the one with the apple on it, the iPhone, yeah. How many of you own the, the lesser version, uh, the, the Android? Any Android people here? Yeah, a few of you. You can see you're in the minority. In fact, Android people, keep your hands up. Yes, thank you, because Androids have been known to explode, and it's just good to kind of know where you guys are sitting. No, it is amazing, right? It's amazing how quickly... You know, it's like we fell asleep 13 years ago, and now we've woken up in a world where loneliness, isolation, depression, all of those things are reaching whole new levels. Now, before those of you who are still using flip phones, before you pull a muscle patting yourself on the back to say how great you are, just recognize this. There are a lot of things that can distract us, right? Not just smartphones. We can be distracted by television, by phone calls on your antiquated flip phone, by emails, by what's going on, uh, you know, just behind that person. We are all easily distracted. Now, now hear my heart on this. This is not an anti-technology message. I, I love technology, obviously. I own an iPhone, an iPad, I have a, a, a laptop, I, I'm on social media. It is a fantastic tool. I, I love technology. In fact, 
The last eight and a half months have proven just how powerful this technology can be. It's allowed us to stay connected and stay on mission even during this quarantine. This is not a call for all Christians to become Amish. You know, we're not going to put, you know, trash cans of water down front of our campuses and in the invitation, have you come throw your smartphone? No, this is not anti-technology. This is just about recognizing that this is a tool, and like any other tool, it can be used for great good, but when it's out of control, it can cause great damage. Because as I said, the more we try to stay connected with everybody out here, the more disconnected we become from the person who's right here. And so what I want to do today is just not only help us become more aware of our tendency to be distracted, but here's what I really want to do. I want to help you understand the power of your presence with the people around you. And so I want to look at a couple of things that I'm convinced can help us be more counter culturally present. Three things, and if you've got your outline, go ahead and take that out. If you're watching online, there's place and space for you to follow along, but there are three things we can do that can help us be more counter-culturally present. So, let's jump in. Number one, the first thing is just recognize that presence increases joy and happiness. Presence increases joy and happiness. Your presence with the people around you, when you're truly engaged and interested in them, it actually increases their joy. It makes the experiences that they are having even better, right? Those of you with young, young kids know this. Whenever they're about to do something or try something and you're near them, what do they say? Watch me, mommy. Watch me, daddy. Do you know why they do that? It's not just attention they're not just attention star. If you are watching them, whatever they are doing is more joyful and happy because you're engaged with them, whether it's jumping off the side of the pool or sliding down the sliding board. Your presence with them increases their joy. And listen, it's not just kids. This continues to be true through adulthood. And there's actually scientific research about this that demonstrates it. Great new research coming out of Cornell University. And I'll spare you all the details about how they did the research and all the data. But here's basically a thumbnail sketch of what they did. They got a group of subjects of all different age ranges, and they asked them to come in and evaluate chocolate. They told them, we got all this different chocolate, I noticed, attention span. Everybody looked up here when I said chocolate. All these different kinds of chocolates from all over the world, and they wanted to taste test them and rank them one to ten. And so that's what they thought they were coming in to do, to rank chocolate. But the reality was all the chocolate came from the same place. It was the exact same chocolate. It was just labeled and wrapped differently. And they had a researcher sitting with them as they were tasting and ranking the chocolate one to ten. And sometimes the researcher would be engaged, making eye contact, making conversation. And sometimes the researcher would pretend to be distracted. They would look at their phone or write down on a clipboard or maybe look across the room at something else going on. And consistently across the board, the subjects rated the chocolate lower when the researcher was distracted and higher 
when the researcher was engaged. Same chocolate, different experience. Why? Because presence increases joy and happiness. But listen, this is not just a human nature issue. This is a God value, right? I mean, next month we're celebrating Christmas. What is it we're celebrating at Christmas? What is the joy that we're celebrating? God with us. Emmanuel, God present with us. God wrapping himself in human form and entering our world. In fact, notice John 1.14. This is the Christmas story in a nutshell. So the word, capital W, meaning Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was present with us, and that brings joy to us. 33 years later, after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, he makes a promise to us that his presence will still be with us through his Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. He, talking about God, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then, check this out, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. You can't be any more present than to be within someone. My point is this. If God gives us joy through his presence with us, don't you think he intends for us to give joy and happiness to the people around us from our presence with them? So let me just ask you this question. Who needs your presence? Who needs a little joy and happiness in their life? Kids? Maybe your spouse, your neighbor, your coworker, that hurting person that's in the ditch that you'll pass by this week. The power of your presence is that it gives joy and happiness to the people around you. Number two, the second thing that can help us be more counter-culturally present is to listen and ask questions. To listen and ask questions. If my presence increases people's joy, I need to understand that my willing to listen and ask questions increases my sense of presence with them. Now, this is one of the many, many things that my wife Terry has helped me with. In fact, that she is helping me with. And that is to understand the impact of both my verbal and nonverbal communication when I'm talking to people, right? My eye contact, facial expressions, nonverbal movement of my body, all of those things communicate whether I'm really there or I'm checked out. And listen, I do okay with the nonverbal. Here's my tendency. I will often, when somebody's talking to me, I will assume before they even finish talking, that I know what they're going to say or what question they're going to ask, and I know what the right answer is, and I will often interrupt them in the middle of their question to tell them what I think they need to do. I bulldoze over them. That does not communicate value. That is not being present with them. But when I listen intently and at least let them finish, what they're saying, when, when I ask questions to clarify, to make sure I understand what it is they're trying to tell me, it increases my sense of presence with them. No greater example of this than Jesus, right? 
Jesus was a great listener and a great question asker. I mean, read through the Gospels. He's always fully engaged in listening, and he asks a lot of questions. In fact, Jesus answers most questions with a question. And this started with Jesus when he was just a young boy. One of my favorite Jesus stories is when he gets lost in the city of Jerusalem when he's 12 years old. I love that. You, you may remember it. Jesus and his whole family, they go to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, this annual pilgrimage that all uh, uh, Jewish males were required to attend. And they go every year. And this year, Jesus is 12. It's a little different. He's now considered fully vested in the community, the Jewish community. He now has access to the temple and all that because he's 12, you know. And so they go and they spend about five days there. And then when they leave, Jesus' parents don't realize that he is not with them until a full day of travel later, right? The reason I love that story is it just makes me feel better about my parenting skills, you know, right? I guess helicopter parenting was not invented in those days, but they realize he's missing. They panic. They travel a whole day back to Jerusalem. They look for him and notice what Jesus is doing when they find him, Luke 2, 46. Three days later, <laughs> I love that. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, and notice what he's doing, listening to them and asking questions. Track with me. Why is Jesus listening to these religious teachers? Why is he asking them questions? Do they know stuff he doesn't know? Do they have knowledge that Jesus doesn't have? Is this for him? Is this about him getting information? No way. He is fully God. He doesn't have any questions. And so when Jesus is asking a question, it is for the benefit of those he's speaking to, not for his own benefit. I believe that Jesus was sitting distracted by the people right in front of him because about what, of what he could give them not what he could get from this. And of course, Jesus' parents show up and they're freaking out, they're yelling at him like, how could you do? Mary utters that phrase that all parents of teenagers have said before. Oh, Jesus, you know, you've said that, right? And then she said, why did you do this? But look at Jesus' answer, Luke 2, 49. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business. See, it's easy to assume that Jesus' father's business was religious activity in the temple, theological debates, but I believe that Jesus knew his father's business was always that person that was right in front of him. Listen, there's no greater gift you can give to the people around you, and that there's no better way for you to be about your father's business than to be fully present with the people you're with. And then finally, number three, the third thing we can do to be more counter-culturally present with people is to prioritize relationships over self. To prioritize relationships over self. To recognize that the people we are with are more important than the things that are important to us. Interestingly, when I was preparing for this message this week, 
I put the word task initially in the fill-in, like prioritize relationships over task, because that's kind of what we do. But the more I thought about it, at least in my own life, it's really not about accomplishing the task that distracts me. It's about what accomplishing the task does for me, how it makes me feel, right? I mean, have you ever wondered why are we so drawn to this? It's like anytime it beeps or buzzes or lights up, it's like we are required by law to immediately check it out and respond, right? I mean, Pavlov would have a field day with this conditioned response that has developed in us. See, I think the truth is, if I'm honest about myself, I can't say this about you, but I'm wondering if I'm not just more attracted to what could be than what is. Maybe I'm more attracted to who's saying what to me or about me than I am the needs of the person right in front of me. In fact, scientists have discovered that social media notifications on phones have the same impact on the brain as drugs. That notification releases dopamine, which is a pleasure-providing chemical. It's what your brain does when you take drugs, and they're seeing that same kind of response with a social media notification. Oh, this could be something. This could be good. Somebody it could be a good thing, right? We are drawn to it. It's really not about task. It's not really about this. It ultimately comes down to being about us. So we have to be willing to prioritize relationships with self. And you see this with Jesus' visit to the home of his friends, the sisters, Mary and Martha, their brother, Lazarus. Jesus and all 12 of his disciples were going up to Jerusalem, and they decided to make a quick stop in the village of Bethany, about two miles outside of the city. And so they all go, all 13 of them go to the home of, of Mary and Martha, and Martha does what Martha always does. She immediately gets busy with the task of, of cooking the meal and providing for, you know, these 13 hungry men who have come into her home, but her little sister Mary is sitting fully present and fully engaged with Jesus and his disciples. And eventually Martha gets frustrated, and she pulls Jesus aside, and she says, tell my no-count lazy Sister Mary, to come into the kitchen and help me. And I love Jesus' reply, Luke 10. Notice what he said. Jesus answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And notice this. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Key word, chosen. See, I've heard countless messages and read countless biblical scholars, you know, try to let Martha off the hook and say, well, that, that's just her personality type. She's type A. She was just doing what she always did, or, or it's about her responsibility. She's the oldest female in the house, so she's the one that has to get all this stuff done. She is the host, but Jesus calls it like it is. Jesus just said, it is ultimately a choice. It's ultimately always a choice. Every day we make choices, whether to value the people right in front of us 
or to value our own desires. So I, I want to ask you to do something. I, I, again, as I said, this is not a call to abandon all social media, to throw away your smartphone. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying maybe this is an opportunity for us, church, to stop and simply ask ourselves, why? Why am I so distracted with this or with other things? Why am I so distracted? Maybe it's just boredom, right? Maybe, maybe it's looking for a fun distraction, and unfortunately, usually fun distractions are fun shortly, but over time, they create a lot of damage. Or maybe, maybe I'm willing to admit it for me, I have an obsession with me with what I want, what I desire. Because maybe the best way for us to be less connected with everybody is to look for opportunities to power down, to put some limits, some boundaries on the things that distract us and choose to be more present with the people right in front of us. Now, I'm going to close with this last verse on your outline, but I think it's interesting to me that this is the first part of the same chapter in which our theme verse is found. This comes at the beginning of the same chapter in which Paul says, shine like stars among them. And I believe this is the heart of how we truly shine like stars in a dark and broken culture. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful that you chose to be present with us I'm so thankful as we head into this holiday season to be reminded that you weren't distracted, that you were not focused on our failures and flaws and our unworthiness, but you in unbelievable love chose to be present in this broken world with us. And so, Father, I pray that we as your children as your followers, as those who reflect you to the lost and broken world around us, that we would shine like stars by being counter-culturally present, fully present with that person you've placed right in front of us today. So, Father, lead us with your Spirit. Open our eyes. Help us to be honest and evaluate the changes we need to make so that we can share your love by being fully present with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.